0: Corinthians chapter 15 today, as we continue in the book of 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to take communion, but what's special about communion today is that this text that we're going to be studying is preparing us to be able to dive deep into now communion with an understanding as to why we participate in communion. You see, he's been talking about the resurrection in chapter 15. Why is the resurrection so important? And in chapter 15, he tells us that, that Christ is supreme. He is over everything. That's why the resurrection is so important. That Christ is in control. That Christ has an undefeated record against death, against sin, against pain, against it all. He has defeated that. Have you ever been impressed with someone that has an undefeated record, right? Maybe if you like a sports or combat sports, whatever it would be, when you know someone has an undefeated record, it allows you to get a little bit more excited to believe in that team or that fighter. But you think about this. You have an undefeated Savior that He went to the cross. He went to the tomb, right? He overcame death. And because of that, chapter 15 is filled with, with hope. I want you to know that today that chapter 15 of 1st Corinthians is filled with hope that it paves the way for you and for me through the resurrection to experience deliverance and to experience freedom. When we go to the table of communion, not only are we taking the cup and the bread and remembering the cross and the tomb, and the resurrection, but we are remembering the reason why we are free, and the reason why we are delivered, right? Because it was because of Christ's death, and because of His resurrection, that now He overcame the power of death, He overcame the power of sin, and for us, what does that mean for you today, Christian Church? For us what that means is that we can live in victory. For us, what that means is that we don't have to live in discouragement. We don't have to live in defeat. We don't have to live in bondage to sin any longer. See, do you know what that means that Jesus rose from the dead? Why is that so important to you and to me? Is that because we no longer have to die in our sins. Before, had Jesus just gone and died on the cross and never resurrected, we would still be living in our sins today. But because He resurrected, we're not living in our sins. We're not dying in our sins. We have deliverance from the bondage of sin. We have freedom now. And we can live as overcomers. When we fight spiritual warfare, if we are in the Lord, we are fighting from the position of victory. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors. That we fight from the position of, of, of victory and that we are overcomers. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Here we see that he is exhorting John the church and he says you are of God little children and have overcome them or the spirit of the world, the spirit of the enemy, the spirit of the Antichrist because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you today is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in your life right now is greater than he who is in the world. And because you know that promise you can walk in confidence. Because you know that promise, you can walk in comfort. Because you know of that, you can walk with hope. And know that God is in control. Know that God has the authority. Know that God will forever reign. Because He did resurrect. And that's the entire point that He's uh, painting a picture for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And not only does it do that, but it answers a question for you and for me. That what happens after you die? We had the opportunity this week to go and to pray for someone in the hospital. And it's, it's so refreshing when you go and you pray for someone that's in the hospital. When you understand that they are, have that sureity, that peace in their life and in their mind. That no matter what happens, that they're going to go to heaven. When you go and present the gospel to someone. And you don't know what condition they find themselves in. But to, to have that promise, to know that, that no matter what happens... I am in the Father's hands and and I have now the promise of eternal life because I've given my life to Christ. Well now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 12, He's going to explain that promise to you and to me and why that is so important. This is the doctrine of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12 says, Now if Christ is preached that He is raised from the dead, here... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now the Greek, the Greek culture was teaching here during the time of the Corinthians that there was nothing such as the resurrection of the dead. That there is no way that someone dies and then is resurrected. They did not believe in that. They didn't, think, they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. Maybe they believe that their spirit resurrected, but they did not believe that your body would resurrect, that you would have a new body and have a glorified body as we are taught through Scripture, and that you would resurrect, that there would be that type of bodily resurrection. So now here, Paul is telling them and teaching them, reminding them, if we're teaching that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus resurrected from the dead, how is it that some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Why is it that some of you are preaching or teaching or believe that there is no resurrection of the dead when we are teaching that Christ rose from the dead? What it? Do you remember in John chapter 11 when Jesus was talking to Mary and Martha? And He says one of the, one of the great I am statements to them. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this? He was giving them the promise of eternal life. But he was saying also, I am the resurrection. I am the life. There is something such as the resurrection. See, this is for us to understand that Christ rose so that we would also rise from the dead. Christ rose so that we would also rise. And Paul is showing here how the resurrection of Jesus was not only important for the fact that Jesus overcame death and overcame sin, but it proves the principle that the resurrection is real. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ had not risen. Now, let's read verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, he says here, then Christ is not risen. See, your mentality, your thought, he's telling him to the Corinthians, of saying that there is no resurrection from the dead is contradicting the teaching and the doctrine that Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead. Now, verse 14, And if Christ did not, is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. How, how much of a waste of time would it have been to come to church? to meet together, to pray together, and to have our faith, and sing the songs, and to read the scriptures, and to follow the Lord, if He didn't really rise from the dead. You see, what makes this different is that Jesus not only said, believe in me, I am the Son of God, only through me you have eternal life, is that He died, but different from the other faith leaders, He rose from the dead. And the core of our faith is found in the doctrine of the resurrection. There will be no church, There would be no body of Christ. There would be no uh, Bible teachings. There would be nothing that would affect your life for eternity had Jesus not risen from the dead. It would be empty. It would be in vain. Our preaching would not matter. He's saying here, it would be empty without profit. And so likewise, our life, without the resurrection, without you putting your trust in Christ, without you putting your trust in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, your life is empty. You see, a lot of times some people say, well, I believe in the Bible and, and I believe in what the Scripture says, but, but I have a problem with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe that part. And when you don't believe that part, the, the core, the essential, the theme of our faith was is that Jesus defeated death, that, that Jesus overcame sin, and you don't believe that part, your life is empty. Because you don't have the central theme and the core facts of the fact that we believe in a risen Savior. Now in verse 14 as we go and it says, And if Christ did not risen, then your preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Without the resurrection, your life is empty. Our preaching is empty. The body of Christ is empty. You see, when we start, start to step away from that truth, we start to step away from the cross. We start to step away from the power of the resurrection in our lives. Where we are no longer walking close to the cross. No, locking, no longer walking close to the tomb. Guess what happens? We feel empty inside. Because we're not walking in the power of the cross. And in the power and in the victory that comes through the resurrection. The, 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 the tomb is all about Victory. It's all about knowing your position in the Lord that we are living as conquerors and more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And not only does he say that our preaching is empty, he also tells us in verse 15, Yes, and we have found false, or found false witnesses. Not only is our preaching empty, but what we as witnesses... We that say that we have seen Christ, that He's appeared to to, to Peter, that He's appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, that He's appeared to 500, that He's done miracles after He resurrected, we are found as liars, Uh, witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He is raised of Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. What is He doing? He's coming against this teaching in which they believe that the resurrection is not real. And He's saying, if you believe that the resurrection is not real... Not only is our faith empty, but we are found liars because we're teaching and we're testifying and we are witnesses saying that Christ died and rose again if the resurrection is a lie. You see what this, how this changes the dynamic of the church altogether? And in verse 16 and 17, you start to find the spiritual implications of what would take place if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. Where would you be today? Think about your life, how your life be if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Where would you, what would be the destiny, your internal now uh, destiny now if Jesus did not rise from the dead? How would that matter to you? In verse 16 and 17, he tells us now, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. In verse 17, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Your faith is weak. Your faith does not matter. And you are still in your sins. If Christ did not rise from the dead, we'd be still living in sin altogether. If Christ did not rise from the dead, we're still living in, in slavery to our sin. If Christ did not rise from the dead, we would still be living in bondage, not set free, not delivered, living in deception now because he had not uh, conquered death or sin or had not been victorious over it. If Christ did not rise from the dead, your faith is weak and you're still living in your sins. You see why this is so important? Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we'd just be here together. Celebrating the life of someone that came to teach but never really proved the foundational truths of his teaching and where he conquered death and he was the weight of salvation. So why is this important? Because if there's no principle of resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If the resurrection doctrine does not exist, then Jesus could not have risen from the dead. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he's teaching them, then he has no power over sin and he was defeated actually. And and if death has power over Jesus, then Jesus wasn't God. And if Jesus wasn't God, then He couldn't complete a a sacrifice for our sins. And if He couldn't offer a complete sacrifice for our sins, our sins are not completely paid for today. And if our sins are not completely paid for today, then we're still living in our sins. Therefore, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, He is unable to save. However, He did rise from the dead. And He's going to tell us now in verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What about the disciples and everyone who put their trust in Jesus that now have died? Have they perished? Are they just in hell now? Because they they trusted in something that wasn't real? And He's telling them now what the implications are had Jesus not risen from the dead. If in this life, verse 19, life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men the most pitiable. Now he's saying if Jesus always taught about that hope that we had in the resurrection, but if it's, that's not true, and the hope that we find in Jesus is only for today, it's only for our life now that we have no hope after life or after this life, that the hope was only for today, that our lives are just miserable. We you think about your life as a Christian, what you've done, all the changes, the self-denial, they're not going out and, and, and indulging in the, the flesh. They're not going out and, and, and wanting to just live for the standard of the world that you've set yourself apart to live holy just to die and there be no eternal life. Would it, would it be, wouldn't it have been just a miserable long life? And now is he's saying we as Christians would, would be the most miserable. Because here you have the unbeliever just having a great time. And enjoying every chance they have at the pleasure of their flesh and sin. And he's saying if the resurrection were true, we're just missing out and we're wasting our time. But no, he's going to teach us that Christ did rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, that should matter to us in the way we change and live our lives. See, Jesus did not rise from the dead. We talked about this last week. So that we can live the way we want to live in our sin. Jesus did not rise from the dead so you can live in sin. Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that we can live a lukewarm life. Jesus rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life, but also so that we can have a new life today. And He tells us now in verse 20, now this, But now Christ is risen from the dead. So do not teach the doctrine that that resurrection is not true because that contradicts that Jesus rose from the dead. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now what is he teaching us? Jesus has become the first fruit. He rose from the dead. We can live with hope. We can live with expectancy. We have something to look forward to. Have you ever wrote something on your calendar? Maybe your agenda, your planner? just months down the line, something that you are looking forward to and you are so hopeful for that day to come and you are counting down the days. You're expectant, very hopeful for that time to come. Well, see, Jesus has put that in eternity. That now me and you can have that hope, that expectancy through the word of God that one day we will meet Christ face to face and it is going to be the best time and eternity plan from eternity's past that we will meet our savior but that only could have happened if jesus rose from the dead and it's saying here in verse 20 that he became the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep what does it mean the first fruits he became the forerunner he was the first one to actually resurrect now you would ask yourself what about lazarus what about now the widow's son in the old testament of elijah well they actually were resuscitated back to life In their earthly body the doctrine of the resurrection teaches us that Jesus was resurrected in his glorious body and that's why we see that in through scripture that he is the first fruit now of those that have fallen asleep he was the first one to ever resurrect he was the first runner the forerunner see the resurrection isn't just living again it's living again in a new body it means new life It means a new life, right? The word of first fruit, I want to tell you a little bit what that means because the first fruit in the Old Testament was symbolic of you offering the first fruit now to the Lord which was now in representation to all the other fruit that would come in the harvest. So they would come and they would bring the first fruit of their harvest to the Lord and say, you know what, this is the first fruit of what is to come. You know, Jesus was the first fruit of what was to come. Of the resurrection that would come through our lives. He was the first fruit. The word first fruit also we know that in a secular terms it would mean an entrance fee. The first fruit at that time. It would mean an entrance fee to a place. And isn't it amazing that Jesus was the entrance fee. He paid that for our resurrection. That Jesus paid the price so that we would be able to follow that pattern of resurrection. It's amazing because in Romans 6 verse 5, when we think about resurrection, when we think about new life, Romans 6 5 tells us, If we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Just like He died, we also died to self. And just like He rose, we also will rise again. What is he teaching us? To put our trust in Jesus for eternal life, but also for new life today. Also for new life today. Verse 21. For since by man, you can circle that and write Adam next to it. For by man came death, but also by man came the resurrection of the dead. Why did by man come death? You see, in the Garden of Eden, man had a choice. He had a decision to make. He made the decision to follow sin, and from that point, forward, from that point forward, now man had chosen the way of death. But Jesus made the way of life available to us. It says, "From one man came death; from Adam came death, but from a new man, from Christ came life." Adam gave us death and sin. From that time in the Garden of Eden, we had death and sin available to us. It was available to everyone and we were born into sin. We didn't even have to try to sin. We're born into sin nature. We inherited a sin nature. That's exactly why when you have a a little baby, an infant growing up. You don't have to teach them to sin. They'll sin on their own, right? And if you don't know that, because you don't have kids yet. (laughs) But you know what happens? Is that they learn to sin on their nose to say no, to run away from you, to, to, to really just throw a fit. What, what's happening? It's the sin nature in them. Right? Because that's the nature that they were born into. But here we see from another man. In verse 21, came the resurrection of the dead. What an amazing promise. Verse 22 tells us, For as in Adam, which represents the sin... Well, Adam, that represents the flesh, Adam, that represents our sin nature, we came all sin and death, all die in that. Even so in Christ, that represents salvation, all shall be made alive. And underline that, church, please. All shall be made alive. What is he telling us here in regards to all shall be made alive? All shall be made a new person. Because when you are living in... And, and think about this, that, those, those terms that he's using. Verse 22, are you living in Adam, in the flesh? Are you indulging in the flesh, in the desire of what the pleasures of your, your flesh want? The carnal flesh wants? Or are you living in now Christ? All shall be made a lion. See, what's amazing about this verse right here that it's telling us. And it's giving us a heart. It's giving us an understanding. It's giving us now the doctrine, the teaching through God's word. That we, when we are indwelt, when God is in us, when Christ is in us. We no longer have to live for our sin. He has made us alive. He has made us a new person. When Christ is in us, He has indwelt us. The New Living Translation, it says, Just as everyone dies because we belong to Adam, because we belong to that nature, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Everyone that belongs to Christ will be giving new life. Jesus did not rise from the dead only so that you can have eternal life, but Jesus rose from the dead so that you can have a new life today and not have to live in our sins. He's made you alive. The resurrection made a way so that we can live a new life and live for also eternal life. That's why in Ephesians 2.1, when we read it a lot, and we know about it in this church, it says that he, you He made alive, Who were dead in your trespasses and in sins. He made you alive. We were dead. But because of the resurrection, we were able to have new life, and he made us alive. That's the testimony, that's the story of your life. If you think about it, if it wasn't for the resurrection, where would we be? We'd be lost right now still. We'd still be living in that pain and that sorrow. And we lost completely. Desperate for answers. Wanting to go from one place to another. And and, and so thirsty for for what this world offers. Empty. Trying to be filled. But because of the resurrection, He gave us new life. You, He made you alive. I mean, what happens when you think back and you look at your life and you say, Thank you, Jesus. Because you took me from a place where I was at. And I was so blinded. I was living in a lie. I was living in the sea. And you made me alive. Because I was living to that Adam nature, that old nature of me, mine. But when I decided to put that old nature aside and say I'm no longer going to live for that old nature, I am going to live for that new nature, which is in Christ. Lord, you gave me salvation. See, we must ask ourselves, even as we study the doctrine of the resurrection, are we living in our old nature still and professing to be Christians? See, Christ died at... On the cross and he rose again so that you can live in your new nature not so that you can live in your old nature not so that you can live for the old appetite not so you can live for the appetites that, that you had when you inherited it from that old nature you see Adam he was told that if he wanted to find freedom if he wanted to have that fellowship in the garden right what would he had to have that the only path to freedom was the path of submission to God and sometimes we try to find freedom in rebelling against God. That is not the path to freedom. When we study what freedom means, when we study what deliverance means, it means submission to God. You want deliverance, you want freedom in life, you want to, to feel that, that you are no longer bondage to those things that had you in bondage. The path to feeling that deliverance and understanding that you have that is in submission, not to the world, but in submission to God. Because through our, our sin nature, we were in bondage. But through our new nature, we are delivered. Isn't that amazing to know that? That doctrine of the resurrection. Through our sin nature, we were living as slaves. But through this new nature, we're delivered from that which held us in bondage from that sin. The best way to find the freedom from sin is being submitted to Christ. You want to find that freedom today is being submitted to Christ. Right? Because He gave us that privilege, but that privilege is only accepted by obedience and submission. Submission means that, 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 that sin no longer has power over us. That we're submitted to Christ, we're not submitted to the flesh. Who are you submitted to right now? Right here it tells us in verse 22 that we are submitted in the old nature, submitted to that Adam nature, that old nature that wants to urinate and crave all the desires of the flesh. That just leads us to death. When we are submitted in Christ, when Christ is in us, we understand what resurrection and life mean. But each one of us, in his own order, Christ, the first fruits afterward, those who are in Christ at his coming. You know, who, who, how is he made alive? How are we made alive? First, here, in the, our own order. First, it was Christ. As he's already explained in verse prior. But then afterward, those who are in Christ at his coming. At his coming, we know that also the dead will rise. We know that also He will put death away and that we will experience resurrection. And that the Bible also talks about two resurrections, two types of resurrection. Christ was a forerunner for the resurrection of eternal life. But Jesus spoke about in John 5 when He said, Do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear the voice and come forth and those who have done good to the resurrection of life. But he also spoke of a different resurrection. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So what does the resurrection mean? That yeah, there is eternity. People here were teaching that after you die, you're to exist. No, but Jesus teaches us that there's going to be a resurrection of life. And that there's going to be a resurrection of condemnation. A lot of people think, you know what? Well, eternal life is, is not true. Not only eternal life is true, also the Bible teaches of eternal condemnation. But because of the resurrection, we have the opportunity to experience eternal life. There was a tomb stone back in the day, many years ago, that was inscribed in the tomb as someone walked in it. And it said, Remember friend, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you will be, Prepare for death and follow me. Somebody else went and with chalk wrote down right below those words. To follow you I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) Isn't that important? Until I know which way you went. Which way are we prepared to go because of the resurrection? You see the Bible tells us that because of the resurrection. Not only did he have power over sin and death but he also has the final victory and in verse 24 it tells us this then comes the end what is the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power when Christ here gets all the power of the earth now and gives it back to the father and turns it in and the last enemy is destroyed the uh, Satan is destroyed death is destroyed right When He delivers all the kingdom back to the Father, He puts an end uh, to the rule, to the authority, to the power that Satan has here on the earth today. The Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, that he is in control of the earth because of the sin that's taking place. But when when we are raptured and we spend time with the Lord in heaven, the Bible talks about a second coming. And in that second coming, we're going to reign for 1,000 years here on earth. And what the Lord is going to do, He is finally going to put an end to the rule and to the reign of the enemy and He's going to forever reign now with us as we come now and He throws now the demons and the enemy into the lake of fire. The Bible tells us this. But as He does that, He takes away now the power of death. He takes away the power of sin from the enemy and He turns in the entire power and the authority of the earth back to the Father as He reigns. You see, this is an amazing time because it teaches us here that the resurrection was so important to speak of the authority of Christ. That He is supreme, that he, is in, that he has order, that He has control. And it tells us this in this very first verse 24. And He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign till He has put all His enemies under His feet. The Bible tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord and He is Savior. And when he does that after a thousand year reign in the second coming of Christ, when those that are raptured, the church goes up with him, we come back and we take control now with the Lord, our Lord and Savior Christ. During the time of Armageddon, as the Bible would speak about it in Revelation, and he will demonstrate who has the authority. And he takes back the authority of death. He takes back the authority and he reigns right. And He puts everything under His feet. Everything comes under total conquest and total order and total control of the Lord. And in verse 26, He tells us, The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. What is the enemy that we face today is death. It's interesting that we, today, we don't have to be scared of death. Because we know we have the promise of the resurrection. But on that day, when we come back with our Lord and Savior, He's going to take control back of this earth as Satan has it today. And he's going to take the authority that Satan has on the earth, bind him for those a thousand years, and bind the the demons for a thousand years, and after those thousand years are over, he's going to cast them into the lake of fire, as the Bible teaches through, through prophecy. And when he does that, he's going to have everything under his authority once again, as it was before Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that incredible? That once again, Christ the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, will have under control, full control again of this earth. And death no longer will be an enemy. Because Christ will come and take control of that. What an amazing promise that we have. That He is in control. And in verse 27, for He has put all things under His feet. But when He says all things He has put under Him, it is evident that He who put all things under His feet is accepted. What is He saying here now? Christ is going to have everything under His feet, everything but the Father, of course, who, is, who put Christ in that position of victorious, who, is, who gave Christ that authority, and Christ will have all the authority to culminate for one thing alone. Verse 28, what is Christ resurrected for? So that He can give God the Father the glory. You know Christ resurrected so that you can give God the glory. Christ resurrected so He can give the Father the glory. And in verse 28 tells us how He would do that. It says, Now when all things are made subject to Him, well, everything, after the thousand year reign, after He cast the enemy and Satan to the lake of fire, after now he, death has been defeated once and for all on earth now, and it no longer is an enemy, And all things are submitted to Christ. The word subject, I want you to understand, it means submitted. When everything is submitted to Christ, when everything is all submitted to Christ, then the Son Himself will also be submitted to Him who put all things under Him. Then what the Son's going to do is submit everything that is submitted to Him, He's going to submit it over to the Father. He's just going to give it over to the Father and submit it over to the Father. And He's going to put all things under Him that God may be all in all. You know what the point of the resurrection is? So that God can be all in all. So that God can be supreme. So that God can have authority. So that God can have control. So that God can be all in all. You know what that means right there? All in all. That He can be supreme over everything, over everywhere. The New Living Translation reads, Then when all things are under His authority, the Son will put Himself under God's authority. The Son will put Himself under God's authority so that God who gave His His Son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything and everywhere. That God would be Lord of all. All in all. What does this teach us? That, That God, the Lord, He is either the Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. Is He supreme in your life? Is He in control? Is He above everything and anything in your life? Is He all in all? Because that's what glorifies God. That He would be all in all. And I think it's so important even right now as we take communion and we prepare for that. Is that we would pray, Lord, we want You to be all in all. And all that we are, we want You to be all. And everything that we have, we want you to be all in that. We want you to take control. We want you to, to be the emphasis. We want you to be the master. We want you to be supreme over all in all. Because that's exactly how you get the glory. But you know how He becomes all in all? When we become subject to the Father. When we become subject to the Son. When we are fully submitted. Then Christ is all in all. Are you fully submitted to Him right now? Is He fully supreme in your life? Does He have authority? Is He in charge? Are you submitted to Christ? Or are we submitted to that old nature? Because Christ did not resurrect, so we can be submitted to that old nature. Christ resurrected so that we would be submitted to the new nature that is in Christ, so that we would be living in Christ, that Christ would be indwelt in us, right? And because of that, through that, God would be all in all, and the outcome and the product of that was the He gets the glory. God doesn't get the glory when you are all in all. God gets the glory when He's all in all. God gets the glory when we are submitted to the Son. We're not living in the old nature. We're not saying yes to sin. We're saying no to sin. We're saying yes to that new nature which is in Christ now. That new way that paves the way to freedom. The freedom that we remember today. The freedom from sin. And you know how you enjoy it? that freedom you know what you have to do to enjoy that freedom from sin the price and the enjoyment to that freedom of sin and self is still in the submission to the authority and the will of god you cannot enjoy freedom from sin if you're not submitted to god sometimes we want to enjoy the freedom that god gives us of sin but we're not fully submitted to god is he all in all in your life today because god wants you to be all alone he doesn't want to be partial He doesn't want to be just Sunday. He doesn't want to be when things get inconvenient. And sometimes we wait for things to get inconvenient so we can say, Lord, be the Lord and Master of my life. Take control. And He says, I want to be Lord of all or not Lord at all. Is He all in all in your life? Because that's exactly the power of the resurrection that we learn through His Word. That He would be supreme. That He would have authority. in every area, everything and everywhere of your life, that He would be in control. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word, Lord. It's so powerful, God. We ask, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would teach us, God. And you would show us, Lord, what it means for you to be all in all. We thank you, God, Lord, because you conquered death, the last enemy. And because of that, we can have a testimony, Lord, that we can live for you now, Jesus, that we no longer have to be slaves to sin, that we no longer have to be slaves to condemnation, we no longer have to be slaves to guilt, Lord. Because of the power of the resurrection. I pray, Lord, for anyone that's trying to live their, old, their new life in an old way, God. Still living it in the, new na- in the old nature, God. That we realize, Lord, that the reason why you came to die on the cross was to make us alive not to let us continue to leave dead in our sins as long as we're living in our sins we are spiritually dead with no hope with no expectancy for eternal life we today want to choose to live submitted to you lord not submitted to the flesh lord i pray lord that you would grant freedom to anyone here at deliverance from whatever would be in their life, Lord, that's holding them back, Lord, from experiencing the deliverance.